Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. And I'm your host, Jose Palomino. And we're going to continue our conversation around the whole issue of strategy. And we said at the outset that strategy and developing strategy and all of that can sometimes feel, well, a a little big company-ish. And if you're running a privately held business in the small to mid market, it feels, it can feel like, a lot to do what you think is the everyday, everyday, the stuff you always do, that you're taking care of your customers, you're providing quality, you take care of your employees, all that stuff is important and true. And uh, and yet strategy, the idea of making decisions about the, the people, processes, and resources at your disposal to achieve a goal or a set of important goals. That's really what strategy is in a nutshell, and you do that every day. So this series has been about putting some structure around that, making sure you have a little bit of detail on it so you can actually work on it, and and even sharing these recordings, this, this podcast or the video with your leadership team, your management team, getting on the same page and working through some of these things. So we said there's really five key questions. And again, anybody who's like studied strategy said, well, it's not five key questions, it's 47 key questions or, or what have you. I'm not disagreeing with any of that. Strategy as a concept, business strategy as a practice is not trivial and it can involve many moving parts. However, we're trying to make this series be something that makes this easier to get your head wrapped around, get started. If you want to go deeper, you can go deeper. But even if all you did was this, you would get something out of it, something significant. So the five key questions we look at, first is, you know, what key measurable objectives will you track, set a goal for, and forecast as you go along? So tracking is looking back. How did we do in these key metrics? And we covered that like two episodes ago, that you'll set a goal for, so it's not enough to track it, but you also have to have something that you're leaning into that you want to get to. And that you can forecast, that you can see as you progress throughout the year, how are we doing? Are we on pace? It's basically, if you were running, for example, trying to hit a certain time in the marathon, you would know what speed, what time you'd need to clock at every six-mile marker, for example, as you get, or every five-mile marker. Again, having not trained for the marathon, I don't know exactly what that is, but I do know you have to break it down so you know you're making progress. Uh, the second key question is, you know, what customers and decision makers at those customers, if you're B2B, you're selling to sometimes a bigger company. So who do you need to reach? Uh, who among them is ideally matched? And that's a big phrase, ideally matched. In the real world, people aren't necessarily, necessarily perfectly matched, but well matched to your distinct value. And then that brings us to the next question is, how do you uniquely solve your target customers' important challenges. The more important the challenge, the more clear you are on what that challenge is for who it's for, then you are able to create value that you are very likely to not only create value for them, but then extract or capture value back for your company. And then how will you reach and connect with these target customers? It's great that there's this idea that they're out there and they look like this, but how, how are you going to connect with them? In your industry, is that through you know, trade shows? Is it certain blogs? Is it being 
very active in social media. Every industry is a little bit different and there's a lot of overlap and pr probably a lot of the avenues are the same for every industry to some degree. But which is more important is key. Understanding that so you can focus your limited time and resources. Again, strategies, making decisions around the people, the processes and the resources to reach that. And then lastly, how will you expand uh, the value and volume of the business you enjoy from your target customers? How do you make more money with them? Is that selling more of what you already sell to them? Is it selling if you have a product line, other products, other services? Maybe it's thinking up other services. You find that your, your key customers are always asking you for certain things. And you say, gee, I, I, I probably can develop something for them. So those are the five big questions. And so far, we've answered how to establish growth goals and how to identify your target customer. And today, I just want to focus on how you create unique value for your target customer. How do you create unique value for your target customer, which is how do you uniquely solve your target customer's important challenges? And I want you to look at that in four, four kind of ideas that if you can figure this out for your target customer, what their problems are, uh, you will have success. You will have traction as you move forward. So the first and most obvious one in most B2B categories is ROI. Simply put, can you show that you actually are able to uh, connect the dots in terms of the, the, uh, the financial return that they would experience uh, for working with you and your solution, your product? And, and don't just think in terms of just what you sell exactly and the outputs, but what it's part of. So for example, if you sell a, um, a piece of machinery that sits on an assembly line and you say, well, you know, that our machine costs, you know, $30,000, it's important. What's the ROI on $30,000? I don't know, I guess versus what, I don't know. But the reality is that assembly line is moving, for all you know, it's moving some, you know, uh, very valuable materials. It's moving finished products. It could be laptops, which are $2,000 a unit through that assembly line and your machine's an integral part of wrapping that. And you see, is that saying, well, what volume does that assembly line uh, process? Turns out that it move half a million dollars worth of product a day. Huh, and how many, how many hours a day do you run it? Well, you run it 10 hours a day. You say, well, why is that? Well, because certain things, maybe the machine you sell, always have to be taken out of service. Something has to be changed on it you can only get 10 hours or that's the labor available to them is 10 hours, but that's still, it's a $50,000 hour. So if what you sell is a more reliable version of that machine than what they can get from your competitors, or you provide a level of service, um, you provide, you say, well, when you buy the machine, we provide a crash kit that if you need to replace any part, it's on the floor, it's included. So you can swap out, you just let us know. And we replace the crash kit when you need it reducing downtime, which could cost you $50,000 an hour. When's the last time, uh, and whatever this unit of machinery is, when's the last time it went down and how long was it down? They say, well, last time, you know, one of the reasons we're shopping for new versions or, or, or new providers of this is the last time it went down for five hours and you realize it cost them a quarter million dollars and you're selling your unit for 30 grand. ROI is critical that you know how to talk the language of ROI. Now, the reality is not everybody you talk to at the customer is equipped 
or position to care about ROI. It's a procurement manager said, listen, I just got to, you know, these are the specs. Can you do it? And I'm looking for the lowest cost provider of a machine that does these things that meets these specs that engineering gave me. Okay. That could be the case. So you have to be very careful that you understand who you're talking to, but that's just one of the four dimensions of creating value, unique value. If you could show how your product actually creates an economic value greater than their investment in your product, you're at least in the game. Now it's possible you have competitors that could do the same thing. So you have to be careful. You're not just saying, well, our glass holds water. And they say, well, all glasses hold water. That's not a big deal. It's not a distinct value, but you start with ROI. Start thinking about that. Now we develop a lot of content. Uh, the company name, of course, my company, I'm the CEO of Value Prop. I wrote the book, Value Prop, which is about creating uh, unique I3 value propositions to enter and win new markets. That's critical. So you can get that book on Amazon and it goes more into value proposition development. But for today, for this episode, I just want to hit on these four things that are really important levers in B2B. The first one being ROI. The second one is time. In time, there's actually two aspects to time that matter to the buyer. The, the first is how long will it take for them to engage with you to figure out whether you're a good fit or not. So think about what you sell. If what you sell is complicated, it's complex, it's software or something. How do you make that buying process easier for the buyer? Because that's something they're going to consider too. It's like, boy, this is a hassle. If we have to go to a site visit, if we need all these advanced demonstrations, um, you know, or if it takes forever to schedule a simple demo. And I've actually seen that happen in real life. And it's amazing to me that that could still happen. Uh, but those are all things that are viewed as waste of time. The other thing that's time is the actual use of your product or service. Does it actually speed things up? Usually in B2B categories, people are trying to solve a challenge or problem that either costs them money or makes them money. Either way, they want to get to a result, a result more quickly. So think about how your product, how your service either saves them time or moves them down to a desired result more quickly. So if you have accounting software that reconciles year end in half the time, it may not cost less, but to them, that could be important, depending on the kind of business it, it is. Again, you have to know your target market, which is what you should listen to the last episode in this series to get a handle on. And then uh, kind of a first cousin to time, but it's a slightly different thought is hassle. Hassle can also be captured in the idea of switching costs. So I have a couple of bookkeepers, and this is an older example, probably not as relevant today, but I have a couple of bookkeepers using old software, but they keep everything together. And if I switch to your accounting platform, uh, there's gonna be all kinds of retraining, we're going to have to uh, uh, create different kind of reports for the bank. After all, we've spent five years really uh, developing our, our set of dashboards and spreadsheets, and now we have to redo that. See, that just feels like a hassle. It feels like a waste of time, but it feels like a hassle. Now, the, the ROI on that might be, well, you have four bookkeepers. Now you'll only need one. So this will pay for itself on labor savings in a year. That's one thought. The other thought may be your bank is asking for more sophisticated reporting. So the ROIs, you'll have access to greater credit facilities with better uh, reporting. Uh, 
Those are all things. you. So these things kind of mix and match. But again, there's this weight in a buyer's mind when they look at an option of the uh factor. Like, yeah, I kind of like what you're talking about. I could see how it might help me, but ugh, I got to do this, that, or the other thing. Or my people do. Or I have to, anything that feels burdensome. So that means that when you're selling, especially to a new customer, really give thought to, like serious concentration on, how will you reduce the hassle factor? So you could do everything from, well, we part of our installation price is the training. Uh, we, for example, a simple thing like, a, and this is not a B2B example, but it applies. If you buy a refrigerator from us, we'll cart take care of, dispose of your old refrigerator. That's not a small issue. If you've ever had to get rid of a refrigerator or a mattress, that's a hassle factor. It also bleeds into time because now you got to stay home and you, uh, wait for the people to come to pick up your old uh, appliance, for example. Well, in B2B, it can be that. You know, do you take out, do you tear out the old equipment? Do you leave it clean? Anything that feels like a pain, even when they accept your greater ROI story, the fact that you will move things more quickly through the assembly line for them, all those things could be true, but if the hassle feels too big, it won't mean they won't make a decision, but it usually means they'll stall. It'll, all, of, all of a sudden, you'll find your deal that you thought was on the five-yard line, kind of like a penalty gets called, and you're back on the 30-yard on the line. You're not out but you're not nearly as close to victory as you thought. And that's frustrating. So keep that in mind. How do you actively, how do you intentionally reduce the hassle of your customer switching from whoever they're doing or however they're doing what they're doing today to using you? So let's say you're a contract manufacturer. They're used to placing orders a certain way, handling, handing in the drawings to whoever was doing their work before, how they receive it in the shipping dock. They probably have done a, a series of informal agreements, how it's packaged, how it arrives, time of day of delivery, all those things you need to understand so you can say, we are not going to skip a beat. We're just going to give you a better product, a better return on your investment, a faster return to realizing the benefits you want to get out of it. And we've taken care. In fact, we've eliminated some steps. Now, sometimes somebody is actually looking in the market for something they buy already because what they're currently dealing with is a hassle. It's, it's unpleasant. And people live with unpleasantness for a long time because they perceive it's a greater unpleasantness to switch. But once they get moving towards switching, they can get momentum and you need to feed that momentum, fan that flame of interest in your product and really listen closely to the things that annoy your prospect now because they may be annoying your current customers if you're doing the same thing or something like it. And they're having that conversation among themselves, thinking about alternatives to you. So this is a really great dimension to focus on about value creation, eliminate hassles, Reduce it continuously. This is an area for continuous improvement. Always asking, always thinking, how do we make your life better, simpler, faster? And last but not least, in these four thoughts around creating value, is risk mitigation. 
every big B2B decision, and big is you know relative to the size company. So to a million dollar company, a $50,000 contract is big. And obviously it's still 50 grand is still noticeable at any size company, but it's especially so with a small company, that's your target. If your target's a billion dollar company, that, that, that threshold of risk might be a quarter million dollars, but there's other risks. For example, that $30,000 machine that you put on their assembly line can affect a half million dollars of daily production. So somebody who's a general manager there who has to make that decision to replace you know, the ACE 1000 model they're using today for your Cyclops 95 model, whatever that is, right? that other machine, they're going to have to give an account if that assembly line slows down, stops, something breaks, something's taken out of service. So they're thinking about personal risk. They're thinking about business risk. So they want to know, how are you going to help them with that? How are you going to mitigate the day-to-day reality of that any decision I make that's different than what I'm doing today creates a risk? Because it's unknown. They haven't bought from you before, maybe, or you're not their main provider. And they want to believe what you're saying because they like your ROI story. They like your time story. They like your hassle story. You have to complete the set, so to speak. And make sure you speak about risk so they feel that their risk is well understood and that you're mitigating it in a significant way. Sometimes that takes the place or, or takes the shape of guarantees. Um, you know, uh, it could be a performance bond, whatever it takes to reduce the sense that the buyer is actually taking a chance on company money, company results, or personal um position in the company and personal finances. It all gets personal pretty quickly. So think about how you create unique value for your target customer. Are you giving them a better return on investment? Are you helping them speed things up and getting to results faster? Are you reducing their hassle factor? And are you reducing their risk profile? If you can do all four of those things and you can convey that in normal, regular sales conversations, so they understand and believe that you can do those things, you will close a ton more business just because they, they, it's safe and it's smart to do business with you. So on that note, until we get together again, this has been Jose Palomino with an episode of Business Growth on Purpose on creating unique value for your target customers. And until we meet again, to your success, take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.